0: Friends, our New Testament lesson comes from Luke's, or not from Luke, from Matthew's gospel, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come Again he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of this invitation and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and they gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? The man was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I was all set to title this sermon, Yes, There Is a Dress Code. But then I remembered that sign out front. That sign that thousands of New Yorkers walk by each day. That sign that includes the title of the sermon. Now, you've already heard today's gospel reading, so you might have an idea of where a sermon by that name might be going. But out of context, yes, there is a dress code might feel rather unwelcoming and inhospitable. So I scratched it. Matthew, though, the evangelist Matthew, he would probably grumble at my reasoning. After all, it is his gospel that recalls Jesus telling the story of the wedding banquet and the underdressed guest. The truth is, I have such terribly mixed feelings about this story. But that said, just this morning, as I was walking to church, as I do most days, I passed by Starbucks, as I do more days than I'd care to admit, I stopped inside to pick up my order when something happened to me that has never happened before. Two of us walked up to the counter at the same time and said in unison, Order for Jenny. Now my name, our name, is fairly common, but even still it stopped both of us in our tracks. And it stopped the barista as well. It turns out this was her first weekend on the job. Most of the workers there, they know me. Again, we will not discuss why. And the barista, she looked at two identical cups that both simply said, Jenny. She looked at the cups and she looked at us and she looked at the cups again and then she looked at the register for backup. Now, I am sure we could have figured this out on our own, but she was new. Working at the register was Alphonse, who prefers to be called A. A glanced up, took one look at us, and went back to the register. He said, the one on your left is for Jenny the preacher, the one on your right is for Jenny the nurse. Now, if it had been any other day of the week, that might not have helped this young woman very much. But it is Sunday, Sunday. And so the two of us stood before her, one in blue scrubs and the other in a clergy collar. Well, okay then, she said. Sometimes what we wear tells the world exactly who we are. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding banquet, a wedding banquet for the king's son, And so invitations go out to the who's who of the community. But when it comes to that invitation, I'm not so sure I would have wanted one. If this story means what it says, an invitation to that particular table means you might end up encountering violence and murder. You might end up seated to the best or worst of society. You might end up tossed out if you don't dress appropriately. And finally, not for nothing, I can't help but notice that even if you make it through all of that, you might still go to bed hungry because at no point in this story does the veal piccata actually make it on to even a single plate. Dinner is never served. So yes, I would like to skip this one. The problem is that the king, the king invites everyone, literally everyone. Jesus goes out of his way to make sure that those who are listening to him realize just how scandalously broad the guest list has become. After being turned down by the original guest list, the king sends his servants out to gather not just some others, he gathers all others, everyone they could find, the good and the bad. When the king wants to have a party, the king will have a party, and at this party, everyone is worthy of an invitation. So the wedding hall, it is finally filled with guests, and all is right in the ancient world for exactly one half of one verse. Because as soon as the king comes in to greet his guests, brimming with pride and joy, that finally there are people here to celebrate his son, as soon as he arrives, he notices a gentleman who is dressed well. He notices a man who is dressed almost as if he'd walked in off the streets, almost as if when he left the house that day, he had no idea he would end up at a royal wedding that night. But not interested in any other excuses, the king throws him out of the party. So this might be a good time for a brief aside. When Jesus tells us a story, he's not recounting what he saw happen yesterday or the day before that. He's relaying something of what it means for us to live as God intends. And there's almost always a story behind the story. Now, in the interest of time, I'm going to tell you the short version of the story behind the story. If you want the long version, I can tell you at coffee hour no one took me up at that, the last service, by the way. The short version is this. It's important that we remember every time we hear a parable that we are hearing it through the editorial hand of Matthew. And in Matthew's community, there were a lot of longtime believers and a good number of new believers. And ultimately, the issue at hand was grace. Grace. You see, the old-timers, they still had the law etched on their hearts, and the new folks, well, some of them were showing up without really understanding what it meant to show up. This was causing some controversy, so that is the story behind the story. But to talk about this wedding banquet is to talk about the kingdom of heaven And to talk about the kingdom of heaven is to talk about grace, God's invitation to God's people to be at God's party. That is grace. But some of them were acting as if the invitation read, Come as you are, no big deal, no fancy clothes, no etiquette, no RSVP, no problem. But there was a problem They'd forgotten whose party it was in the first place. Which meant they couldn't tell the difference between cheap grace and costly grace. Now they wouldn't have known to call it that back then, of course. Those terms would come from Dietrich Bonhoeffer centuries later. But the idea holds no matter what you call it. Cheap grace expects something for nothing. Sometimes it expects everything for nothing. Costly grace knows that grace is unconditional, but that it comes with expectation. Cheap grace, Bonhoeffer says, is forgiveness without repentance, baptism without discipline, communion without confession, community without discipleship. And costly grace, he says, costly grace tells us that we are to embrace a life of discipleship. It asks us to clothe ourselves in a whole new way of being. Cheap grace asks, what can I get? Costly grace asks, now that I have been given so much, what now can I give? One of the sweetest weddings I ever officiated. It was a second marriage for the bride. Her first husband had died far too young of cancer, leaving a single mom and a baby boy. Over time, the couple soon to be married, they met, and that baby boy became a toddler and eventually a highly opinionated five year old. It was important to both the bride and the groom that Owen be involved in the ceremony. He was to serve as the ring bearer and then stand next to his mother throughout the service. We had even gone ahead and created some vows that included him. And for weeks leading up to the service, every Sunday, Owen would wait until worship was over and the crowds had cleared out so that he could practice walking up and down that long center aisle. He was excited for this wedding And he took his responsibilities very seriously. That's why I was so shocked when just before the rehearsal, I walked in and found Owen sobbing as his mother tried to comfort him. The groom, he grabbed me by the elbow, led me a few feet away and explained the problem. It turns out that sometimes... Five-year-old ears don't hear the nuance of the English language, quite like we do. And for all of these months, Owen did not think he was going to be the ring bearer. Owen thought he was going to be the ring bear. As in, a furry brown creature that grunts and growls as it ambles its way toward the wedding party. He was prepared to be a ring bear. All this time, he thought a costume was coming. A miniature coat and tie were a very poor substitute. He could not be consoled, and we ran through the rehearsal as quickly as possible with a very sad little boy wiping his eyes the entire time. The next afternoon, I checked in with the bride and the groom, and well, they handed me a liturgical vestment that I had never worn before, and I have never worn since. They explained to me that last night as they were talking, they realized that what mattered to them more than anything else was that Owen remembered this as a day of joy. And so, they said, they had compromised. Owen would walk down the aisle with his proper suit and tie and with bare ears fastened to a headband. Owen was delighted with this. He assured me very solemnly that he knew exactly when to walk down the aisle, exactly how to hand me the rings, and exactly how to feel like a bear without acting like a bear. But what Owen didn't know is that as soon as he took his first step inside the sanctuary, the rest of the wedding party, pastor included... Donned our own pairs of bear ears. And when the bride made her big appearance, she too had bear ears somehow worked into her hair. By no stretch of the imagination was it proper wedding attire. But it was the right wedding attire. I have never looked quite so ridiculous But I have never seen a little boy smile so big for so long. Now, I'm sure that to some, the whole lot of us, we probably looked as out of place with our bare ears as the king's wedding guest looked in his shorts and sandals with his shirt tails sticking out. But to assume that, well, that would be to miss the point entirely. Entirely. You see, the king's guest, my friend Tom, he puts it this way. He says, The king's guest isn't thrown out because he refuses to change his clothes. He's thrown out because he refuses to change his heart. You see, just like food is never just about food in Scripture, clothes are never just clothes. In the early church, when new converts were baptized, they put on a new garment as part of the ritual. The old attire was left behind. It was a symbol, this new garment, of a new identity, of a brand new life. That garment is what Paul has in mind when he writes to the church in Ephesus, clothe yourselves with the new self. To the Colossians, he writes, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And to the Galatians, he says, as many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. To be clothed with Christ is to be ready to live as a disciple, to be prepared to live a life of faith. That is how one dresses at the wedding banquet of the king. And even though we are still in the rehearsal dinner here and now, we do well to dress up nevertheless. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding banquet. It's an important story. It declares that you are loved and the party the feasting table, it will not be the same without you. It also declares that while God's love comes to us where we are, love, real love, it never leaves us as we are. And grace, real grace, costly grace, it always asks something of us. So friends, the invitation to the party to that grand wedding banquet. The invitations have been sent. Will you accept with pleasure or will you decline with regret? But much more importantly, what on earth are you going to wear? Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.